good morning. Uh, welcome to GBC. I want to extend that welcome to you all this morning. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's a real, real joy to be able to gather together this morning to sing praises to our Lord, uh, to hear from God's Word, to share in our prayers together. Um, we have our kids in again this morning, and uh, it's always a thrill and a joy to have them here. Um, we really love having them here. I'm going to get you guys to yell out a number for me, and I want you to listen out throughout the sermon for when this thing comes up, because it's going it's to come up once. And I want you to let the world know how many coffees your parents drink a day. Uh, coffee will come up once in the sermon. I want you to listen out for it. But I want you to confess right now how many coffees your parents have. And if, if it's not a parent you're sitting next to, maybe it's a friend that you're sitting next to uh, or something like that, just yell it out so we can all hear. I'm going to count to three and just tell us, shame them publicly. Are you ready? One, two, three. Three! I heard ten. Who said, oh my goodness, that is insane. Wow. Wow, this is, wow. Okay, we've got a few calls to make during the week, I think. Uh, so... We're finishing off our series, Hope is Here. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, uh, and to, to get us into it, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 9. I'm going to read this, 1 Peter 1, 1 to 9. We'll pray, and then we'll get into it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be re revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent to come into this world to save us from our sins. And in his death on the cross, he not only died, but he rose again victorious. And in him, we have a living hope. 
Father, would you build into us, your people here at GBC, would you build into us a solid, immovable hope? Father, we ask that you would do this work amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen. There's about a uh, hundred things that Bible college uh, just cannot teach you about being a pastor. I've been a pastor here for about a year now, and I was at Bible college for three years before that. There's a whole bunch of unexpected things that just pop up that you need to deal with. Um, and one of those things is managing the maintenance of an old-ish building like this one. There's a lot of fun that we have. For example, when there's an electricity problem, uh, we have a fun, try, a fun trying to chase down which meter box to go to to fix the problem. Because, you know, like an ordinary building, you'd think there'd be one meter box that contains all the switches that you can go and look at. But no, a quirky feature of this building is that there's not one, there's not two meter boxes, but there's four meter boxes. And so anytime there's an electricity problem, you go chase down that one, go chase down that one, not that one, okay, must be that one in the back corner. Another one of the features of an old building is some of the things that you have to deal with are things typical of a 30, 40, 50 year old building. Not talking about the people, uh, talking about the building. Um, and we had uh, some strong winds during winter and spring this year. One of the steel posts in the back, near our, on the back of the, on the lawn, on the other side of the car park, fell over uh, earlier this year. So naturally, we called our electrician. I walked him over and uh, he made sure that there was no exposed wiring. It was, it was all made to be all safe. And when I got there, it became clear, just crystal clear, why it had fallen over. You see, typical, again, 30, 50-year-old thing. The grass and the dirt had grown up around it over many, many years. And the base of the pole had just rusted through. It was orange and it was crusty. So when the wind came through, no wonder it blew over. The foundations were completely shot through. And I want to suggest to you that if you do not have real, solid hope moving into next year, that will be the picture of the year for you. No foundation. So when the first wind of a trial or a discomfort comes through, it'll be falling over. We spent our, we've spent our time together leading up to Christmas considering Old Testament passages that point us forward to the coming and birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And we've done that. Uh, we've seen that in him we find true and real hope. Our prayer has been that as we've contemplated together the coming of Jesus, that our foundation of hope would have been strengthened, both individually so that each one of us moves into a new year with a solid, firm foundation of hope, but also collectively, that as the people of God here, that we move into next year encouraging one another 
pointing one another, spurring one another on towards our hope that we have in him. This morning, we're bringing that series to a close by considering the book of 1 Peter. As we do this, we're not just going to consider what it means to have hope. We've tried to do that over the past few weeks. No, this morning, we're going to flip it and we're going to, see it. We're going to consider what it means for hope to have us. What do I mean by that? Well, when you have a coffee, there's our reference, you hold it in your hand, you smell it, you see it. Perhaps you start to have the symptoms of an addict as you're holding it. Your mouth starts to water. But when coffee has you, when you not only hold it in your hand, but you've tasted it and you've drank it and it starts to change you, you become more human, don't you? You have more energy. You can think more clearly. The, the world just seems to be a better place. It has an impact on you. This morning, we're considering what it means for hope to have us. Not just to have hope, but for hope to change us, to transform us in a new year ahead. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter writes to a suffering people, a persecuted church. And he starts the book by laying the foundations of hope for them. And then from there, he teaches, as people of hope, what ought to show up in their lives. And if we catch this, if we really grab what God has to say to us this morning, we won't be like that rusted out steel pole with no foundation. Rather, we'll be like a solid tree. A solid fig tree with deep, strong roots that not only has a strong foundation and is immovable, but that produces shade and produces fruit beyond itself. And so with that in mind, let's get into it. The hope that Peter lays out comes in the very opening verse for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter offers a blessing to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for good reason. He has caused a new birth, a birth into a living hope. The first birth we experience inevitably leads to death. The second birth, through the resurrection of Jesus, leads to eternal life. And a second birth comes with it a new existence, one with new relationships, new desires, a new orientation to the world. But foundationally, the focus for Peter here is that it comes with a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when Christ resurrected, he punched a hole through death, a hole that when we're united to Jesus by faith, a hole that we get to travel through also. In Christ, death is a defeated enemy. 
And because the hope we have is living and not dead, it's a secure hope. Verse 4 tells us, Our living hope is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. Verse 5, it's kept by God, guarded through faith. And so what does it produce? Look there in verse 6. In this you rejoice. Joy, gladness, rejoicing. And how about that? Even if we are grieved by various trials. Just a quick point of clarification. Christian joy is not piece of paper thin. It's thick and solid. It's durable. It's not like what the world will offer us. The hope the world offers us and the the good life is where there's a lack of suffering. Freedom from suffering. No. Christian joy is thick and durable It remains untouched even when we grieve, even when we suffer. So here it is, the foundation of hope that Peter lays out to us. It's a new birth, one that brings us forth into a life with a living hope. 2024 is only hours away from us. And as a bit of an experiment, uh, let's, do, let's do something together. We're going to do a worst-case scenario analysis of 2024. Strap in. Let's imagine together. It's the middle of January. Tensions in the Middle East have heightened. Russia and China join forces. And World War III breaks out. It's happened before twice, why not a third time? It's now February. The Australian government legislates nationwide persecution of Christians. Religious groups that hold a traditional view of marriage and gender are banned. Your pastors get thrown into prison and 60% of the church lose their employment. It's now March, and a personal crisis strikes you and your family. A diagnosis, a relationship disaster, a death. And we're not even halfway through the year yet. Would any of this put even a scratch on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Can we just burn these words into our hearts and minds right now? The hope we have in Christ is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, guarded by God.
For those in Christ Jesus, 2024 is a year of hope. As those in Christ Jesus, our lives are lives of hope. This is the hope that we move into the new year with. Not with fear, but with boldness, with confidence, with a fire in our bellies. Not from ourselves, but according to the mercy of God. And with this hope within us, we are like an elastic, an elastic band at full stretch. Full of thrust and potential, ready to launch. And it's a potential that Peter, in 1 Peter, wants us to see, will thrust us towards four things. Here they are. A living hope means holiness. It means a love for the family. It means evangelism. And it means resilience. First, holiness. 1 Peter 1, 12 to 16, just a few verses after the reading that we had this morning, says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to, your, uh, to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This new birth brings us into a new dynamic of relationships. Just as a natural birth brings you into a family with parents and siblings, our spiritual rebirth brings us into a new family as obedient children, as children of a new father, our father in heaven, the holy God. As children, we take on family likeness. We are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as the one who called us as holy, we also are to be holy in all our conduct. Similar again in 1 Peter 2, 11, it's on the slide. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your souls. See, the hope we have is found in another world. So we ought to expect that the way we conduct ourselves will be different from the world we live in. We've been born again, transformed, made new. And here's the point. People with living hope live differently. People with a living hope live differently. Often when we hear the phrase passions of the flesh, uh, that, that can often be confused with being exclusively about sexual immorality. But it's not the case. And so to help us in doing some self-reflection, I'm going to put a list on the screen that might help us broaden out that definition. This is not an exhaustive list, there may be others, but a list that might be helpful for us as we contemplate the passions of the flesh. Anger, pride, sexual immorality, envy, 
drunkenness, selfish ambition. See, these are features of the former way of ignorance. And there's a certain level of satisfaction that comes in indulging these passions, aren't there? That's why they're so compelling. That's why we continue to sin. But it helps to call them out for what they are, to really understand them. They are our enemies. They wage war against our souls. And here's the question we can ask ourselves, the question we must always be asking ourselves. What is of greater worth and value to us? Is it these passions of the flesh that are waging war against us? Or is it a heavenly father who grants me new birth, eternal hope, mercy and rejoicing? People with hope live differently. Can we resolve together to abstain from these passions? To be holy in all our conduct? To be clear, we are going to look back on the 31st of December 2024 and say that we've not been perfect. We've failed to keep up to that resolution. But can we resolve to encourage one another, to build one another up, to spur one another on towards abstaining from these passions of the flesh, but to being holy in all our conduct? People with a living hope live differently. So a living hope means holiness. Second, a living hope means love for the family, specifically the family of God. Optus Stadium can be filled with thousands unified around a particular team. Uh, people who work in the same business are unified in their work. You name it, really. You can be united in sharing any kind of interest. Crochet, Pokemon cards, whatever it is. And if that is true for things that are temporal, how much more for an eternal hope? See, it's that eternal hope that unites us together as spiritual brothers and sisters, all born again into a new family. 1 Peter 2.11. Let me correct that. It's not 1 Peter 2.11. It's 1 Peter 1.22-23. Someone not naming anyone, forgot to change the numbers on that slide. 1 Peter 1, 22 to 23 says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Just a word of clarification, the word translated therefore brotherly is really describing something that is not gendered. It's better understood as brotherly and sisterly love. 
It's getting at sibling love, family love. It's speaking of a bond thicker than blood. See that there in verse 23? What's underpinning all of this? We all have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, the gospel. And that's the point here. People with a living hope are brought together. They share in that which is most precious to them. There's a woman, uh, I'm sure some of you may have heard of before, but probably, most likely, most of you haven't. Uh, her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria is a popular Christian author, uh, but before she got there, she had adopted and lived out a lesbian identity for several years. She was a professor at a university in America who specialised in studying queer theory. She advocated for the rights of people within that community, the LGBTQI community, together with her lesbian partner. She eventually met a Christian, uh, initially to learn about Christianity so that she could criticise it as part of her research. She eventually became friends with this person. And through the, the patience, the hospitality, the generosity of this man, she eventually converted to Christianity. Sadly, as a result, in her words, there was a cataclysmic fallout in which she lost everything but the dog. Yet in her words, she gained eternal life. But she's now given herself over to the work of the gospel. Again, in her words, her heart's desire is for people to put the hands of the hurting into the hands of the saviour. She has an incredible story. She's, she's a worthwhile person looking up online and learning from. But she's written this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a book that's helping Christians think about how they can use their homes to engage in hospitality, opening up their lives to Christians and non-Christians in Christian fellowship. But the one thing I want to draw out is this. And it's something she observes that could be quite challenging for Christians, actually. She noticed the difference between the LGBTQI community she was a part of for so many years and the church community that she had become a part of. And she carries with her this reflection that although the LGBTQI community was, were blinded and misguided and and even in her leaving, they treated her horribly. While she was a part of that community, they were incredibly warm, incredibly generous, incredibly welcoming, hospitable. She said that there was never a night that she couldn't find a house, a meal to eat, a couch to sleep on within that community. The shared struggle of these people bound them together. And we can learn something from that, can't we? What binds us together is a thousand times deeper and richer than what holds that community together. I wonder if we just forget that sometimes.
to repeat those words of Peter again. Let us love one another earnestly from a pure heart. As you look across this room, as you walk past the people in the hustle and bustle of the initial five to ten minutes, you are walking past people who share the hope that you have. The person who just pushed in front of the line in the coffee for coffees this morning. The person who's sitting in your chair that you always like to sit in. Those are people born again into your family. Let us love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we've said hope thrusts us towards holiness, towards loving the family of God. And now evangelism. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says these words, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As a new people, a new people with a new and living hope, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, what purpose have we been made that new people for? Well, it tells us there in verse 9 that you may claim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have received mercy, and so we want more people to find it. We've beheld the excellencies of God who's called us out of darkness, and so we are a people who declare his excellencies to the world around us. We are beggars telling other beggars where there's food. Next year, as a church, we're hoping to start something new. One of our hopes is that we will run two evangelistic courses over the year. Uh, these go for four or five weeks each, and they explain the gospel in an easy-to-understand way, uh, particularly directed towards people who don't have an existing faith. The hope is that we'll help people make a decision to follow Christ. We would love to see people meaningfully engage with the gospel. And more than that, we would love to see people in 2024 put their trust in Jesus. All the information you'll need for that uh, to help invite your friends along will come to you next year. But for us now, I wondered if we could do a bit of a heart check and ask an honest question in search of honest answers and here's the question how much do we actually want more people to put their trust in Jesus and join the family of God how much is that actually something that we want let me throw a number on the table let's say five people became Christians next year at GBC. 
Do you know what that will involve? That will mean lots of people needed to take the risk of sticking out their necks and inviting a friend, a colleague, a neighbour to one of those evangelistic courses. It'll mean five more people filling up our chairs on a Sunday. Sitting where I'd prefer to sit, actually, thank you very much. It'll mean five more people we need to be ready to get to know, ready to let into our lives as a church family. Five more people we need to help find a growth group. Five more people standing in front of you in the line for a coffee. Frankly, it is actually kind of inconvenient. It will actually take some hard work. It will take some hustle, some level of discomfort and inconvenience for us to reach the lost. Why on earth would we want to do that? One beggar telling another where there's food. We live amongst people who are still living in darkness. People destined for eternal death. A death that leads to hell. And we have a living and abiding word of God. The gospel that has been preached to us. The gospel that, that produces rebirth and puts living hope in the hearts of people. Reaching the lost will be inconvenient. It will take some elbow grease. It will require us, the family of God, to be united in our mission. And some things are just too important. Holding out the gospel proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Helping people grab a hold of that by faith. That's too important to let our discomforts, to let inconvenience get in the way. Finally, resilience. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And chapter 5 verse 12 at the bottom there, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So right at the start of Peter's letter, the first reading there, chapter 1 verse 6, we're told up front, not on the back of the box in small print, but right at the front, that trials and sufferings are expected. There is a mountain of things we don't know about the year that starts tomorrow. We do know there will be trials, sufferings and difficulties. In chapter 5, we're even told, not in this reading but some other verses, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yet, it's in these very sufferings, these trials, 
that we find our living hope still produces rejoicing. One of the final commands of the whole letter uh, from Peter is found there in 5 verse 12. He says, stand firm. He's calling to stand firm in the true grace of God. Be resilient. Don't budge. Dig your heels in. And we'll, we'll close with this thought. During hardship, what is it, what is it that some, some people sometimes say? Go to Bunnings get some cement, and harden up. Often with some degree of more colourful language attached to it. Not the most helpful advice, by the way. If you're uh, helping someone going through suffering or trials, don't use that line. But it is a line that gets at something, isn't it? We live out our lives with various kinds of trials. A devil that's prowling around looking for someone to devour. Even the passions of our very own flesh are waging war against us. We do need something that's going to harness us up, to put steel in our spines, something that will give us power and strength to stand firm. And I can promise you, you won't find it at Bunnings or in a bag of cement. You won't even find it in yourself. You won't find it anywhere else except in the living hope we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A hope that will outlast any suffering that we face. Let's pray. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.